Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. Today, we are going to finish our story with Steckley Lee on life, death, and compassion. Steckley, welcome back. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So um, at the end of last week, we had heard about your really interesting childhood and you um, being a ballerina, you know, a very sort of rigorous uh, choice in terms of being a dancer and then having to pivot away from that and initially choosing medicine and then quickly realizing that that is not a great fit for you. So you then go into law, which you have lots of examples of in your family. And over the course of time, you accept ever more sort of challenging and demanding positions in the law with a focus on helping other people, helping other people in terms of organizing and advocacy and at the policy level, but you also have experience as a defense attorney. Right, right. When we left off, I had just been offered like a, a wonderful job at the Brooklyn Family Defense Project that I couldn't say no to, despite having a, a new baby in my life. Right. So you have the new baby, and you you've lost your friend um, tragically, yes. who you was your supporter, and you were her supporter. I'm I'm assuming while you were both pregnant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's going on and you're in you're you've always wanted to move to New York. So you and your husband decide to do that. But I, one of the things that comes with that is that you leave the community that you had built. Right. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I listen to your story, you sound like someone who's quite driven. And so when your brother says, Oh my God, you got to take that. Like you can't pass up that opportunity are you at this point, like, are you aware of, of you starting to fatigue and starting to maybe not um, pay as much attention to what's going on with you physically and emotionally? And is that drive just something that's so normal that it would almost be like, well, of course I'm going to take this, this new challenge on. Yeah. At that point, the drive was still so much a part of my life that I didn't even consider what moving to New York city with a 14 month old and a rather low paying job for an attorney would, would mean, um, and leaving that community of support. I just jumped right in. Like I, like I did. Okay. Um, yeah. With that exciting opportunity. Okay. So, yeah. so what happens when yeah. you you're there and you have this exciting opportunity and, and your new baby. Yeah. So we, um, we moved up there. It was in September and we moved from Florida and I started working right away. We ended up having to um, live in this apartment that was, I think, the quintessential classic bad New York first apartment. Um, <laughs> and we had to have, we had to live with a roommate uh, because we just couldn't afford rent and student loans and childcare. 
um, on a legal service as a salary. Um, my husband was adjuncting at that time and he was able to stay home with the baby a couple of days a week. And then we had to knit together childcare. Um, we had no clue what we were getting into, just no idea what it would be, what it meant to be young parents in a city like that. Um, so we couldn't get daycare. We couldn't, it was definitely a challenge. Um, but my job was also so demanding and it felt so important because I was representing people whose children were being taken from them and they had, um, you know, being a mother, I I felt it in in a way I hadn't felt any of my previous legal work. It just felt so deeply important. Um, and I wanted to help my clients because many of them were just, there were a few that were truly dangerous parents and their children needed to be taken away, but the vast majority of them were just poor or mentally ill or um, too young and just needed support. And they needed um, someone to come in and help them um, with things, you know, like food, rent, that kind of thing. And um, instead they were not getting that and their children were being removed. Um, So it was just such a hard job to not take, very seriously. Yes. And so (laughs) you're, you are struggling. I mean, you're having your own struggles like you just described, Uh but then you're seeing the struggles of others and you're in a position to help them. And so, you know, I just hear your energy probably pouring out. Yes, it did. I poured and poured out into that job. And I, um, I, I remember we, we finally got after probably about six months of um, a babysitter here, a babysitter there, juggling, taking care of the baby and um, my husband working part-time. We finally met a couple and became really good friends with them. And we, we got a nanny share and that was huge because it took, um, it was like after six months of juggling for childcare, we found solid, solid childcare. Um, and so I felt like, okay, I can, I can do this. I've got someone taking care of the baby and now I can really push forward and um, focus on this work. But there was one case that I got where the mother was my age and her baby was my age. And when she was a teenager, she had given birth to twins and she was only 14 at that time. Oh my! And um, she was unable to care for those twins when she was 14 years old. And so they were um, put into the foster care system and her mother ended up adopting them. And um, in New York City, once you have, if you have ever had a, a, a case within the child welfare system opened against you, anytime a new child is born, you're automatically flagged as being a potential, um, you know, dangerous parent. Oh, like a risk and, to a risk. Chi- a risk to your own right. child if you have anything like that in your history. In your history, right. Oh. And so, you know, this fast forward, you know, that was 14, she was 14 when her first birth happened. And then now she's in her late thirties. Um, so full grown adult. And, um, she was given a caseworker, like when the, when the children, when the child was born and, um, ended up needing, she herself ended up needing a lot of help. And, um, her, caseworker didn't give her help and instead 
filed a complaint against her and started this whole court process against her again. In that case, because my child was the same age and I was reading the petition and I just was seeing myself in that story and I just was seeing the struggle she was going with and just saying, you know, this could be me on right. any day um, if it weren't for my, my the privilege of my skin, basically, and the privilege of, um, you know, being a lawyer. Right. And um, <laughs> so when her case came to trial, her, my daughter had, um, had was sick. And I remember she got sick all over my shirt right as I was leaving for, for court and I couldn't not get there on time. So I just put my jacket on over it, and <laughs> jumped in a taxi, ran to court to do the trial. And that's when I started going, this is, this is insane. <laughs> I started having this little like glimpse of I, this might be, I mean, I remember handing her off when she's sick and I should have been home with her to the babysitter, actually in a coffee shop more nonetheless. Um, because I had to get to court to help right. this woman. And I'm like, I'm not helping my own child right now. And this, and that's when the, I think one red flag started being raised. Okay. Um, but I just kept going. Um, well, and you have a history of, I mean, you, what I'm hearing in your story is you're someone who keeps going. I mean, yes. you're someone that when adversity shows up, you, you run through it, it seems like. Yes. Yeah. And I, I didn't, th- at that time, I didn't think about it. I just was, you know, I just got to do it. I just <laughs> I didn't think about stopping to ask for help or <laughs> right. It's giving yes. up. <laughs> I, well, I hear, I hear, I hear a lot of myself in that. And, um, yeah. you know, there was certainly for the vast majority of my life. Uh, yes. When something came up that was very difficult or challenging, I did, I never had any thought really of, not doing it or saying no or stopping and, and saying, huh, maybe I need some help with this. Right. I just, right. My mentality was, uh, I think a, a psychiatrist called me hyper-competent uh, <laughs> one time uh-huh. <laughs> and I took it as a compliment. I don't think he meant it as a compliment. Uh, <laughs> it's a right. but we're rewarded like, for that. Yeah. Right. As like a slight pathology, but to me, it sounded like, ooh, well, thank you so much. Right. <laughs> I may have had something similar said to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so, okay. Right. So you're having an inkling now. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is, we're, we're starting to cross over into right. a different, a different type of, of challenge and, and a, a too much, a too much, which right. is kind of a little bit of a new uh, realization for you. It sounds like. Right. Right. And that, that winter, I had, we were so not prepared for winter in New York city, you know, moving from Florida and we, um, it was just such a shock is how cold it got. And, um, I got really sick. I got, I started having reoccurring lung infections and, um, and I would take, you know, a day off, but then I'd be like, I gotta get back to work. And just, I didn't really give myself the care or the time to let my lungs get better. And I also didn't consider what might be the underlying cause of, that I just kept going and um eventually it got so bad that I ended up in the hospital um with this lung infection and it was the the cough that came with it was so bad that I ended up popping a rib out um wow. from coughing yeah and oh. so the 
it was so painful. And um, I remember the doctors saying, you know, you need to take time off and rest. I was like, like a day? And they're like, well, no, probably <laughs> a couple of weeks. I mean, I can't do that. And so I got, um, you know, I think I took a day or two off of work until the fever was gone. And then I got, I couldn't lift things at that point because of my ribs. So I just got a, a wheelie bag and transferred all my casework to the wheelie bags. I wouldn't have to carry my big heavy files and, um, and that should have been a wake up call, but yet it wasn't. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you accommodated, yeah. you accommodated yourself, uh, mm-hmm. so that you could keep working, just keep pushing forward, right? right. Keep pushing versus stopping and really saying, wow, I need to care for myself. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, you know, that continued through the winter and kind of through the next year. And I felt like with each month, um, my, well, my child as, as they approached around age two, I started to see some things that just didn't seem quite developmentally normal. And I, um, autism wasn't as discussed as it is now, but I, I was hearing it and I was seeing cases come through with child development, um, questions and and my own child was starting to show signs of something being off developmentally and um when that started happening I realized I had to you know I had to devote time to to them more and um and I started feeling really conflicted because I wanted to be able to do that I wanted to be able to give my my own child the care she needed and um but I felt like I couldn't because of my, the demands of my job. And what were you seeing? And what were you seeing that caused you to know that something was not quite right? So um, when they were two, um, they could talk like a five-year-old and it was amazing vocabulary, which is unusual. Um, but at the same time, eating foods was really hard. Um, it was super picky palate and textures were really difficult for um for them to basically anything anytime I introduced something new it would just make them really upset and um they also were really having a hard time with wearing clothes um <laughs> if the clothes didn't feel just right and everything had to come off and um they would be screaming you know crying and um having a huge temper tantrum and and the hardest part, though, was that is a cute little two-year-old, but that she'd get violent and she'd bite me and hit me and headbutt me. And, um, you know, if if the clothes didn't feel right or if the food wasn't right or. Um, and it's it's the age, you know, the terrible twos. The doctors would say, well, you know, it's just they're just child's two years old. This is this is normal. But um, I think when it really hit me was we I tried to take um them to story time at the library one weekend and they just couldn't do it they couldn't be in a room with other children um without having a meltdown and um getting kind of completely overloaded and at that point we had found a good daycare and um the daycare was reporting similar things so whereas the other children would play together you know, at the PlayStations or the dollhouse, my child would sit in a corner by themselves. And um, 
um, wouldn't really interact with the other children. And um, my child did really well one-on-one -on -one with playdates. So the summer after um, I turned two, I had become friends with another mother in my office. Most of the most of the attorneys didn't have children, but there was one other attorney who had a child. And we approached our boss and asked if we could possibly do a job share for the summer. And um, so she agreed and it was, a, I felt a huge sense of relief. And so what that meant was that we would share each other's caseloads. Um, we wouldn't have a reduced caseload, but um, we would get to share each other's caseload and we wouldn't have any new clients assigned over the summer. And we each got to work two and a half days of the week instead of you know full time and on the days we weren't in the office we would take care of each other's child oh i see and uh, yeah and so um we did like a job share and a child care share and um that was the first time i'd actually gotten to spend got to spend really a lot of time with my child um since they were three months old and when i had gone back to work Right. Um, and, and I got to really see um, what the daycare was seeing and, um, you know, have time at the playground with with her. And um, I just was just seeing these differences that just weren't. I couldn't quite explain it. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just it didn't feel right. And nighttime was also very hard. She could never sleep through the night. And. Um, and so. I started looking, I started feeling like, you know, maybe my child has autism. Um, some of the things like the sensory issues, the, the meltdowns, um, the inability to be with large groups without getting over, overwhelmed um, were, were all things that are common among autistic children. But because her vocabulary was so amazingly strong and she also had really good eye contact, the doctors are like, no, it's just, you know, it's just a phase. They'll, they'll outgrow it. So I see. Um, so because they weren't checking the, all the right boxes, so to speak. Exactly. Uh -huh. Okay. So they, yeah. some of them, but not all of them are, or maybe some of the more common hallmarks were not present, but there exactly. were other things present. So you're seeing your child struggle and probably suffer if, Right. Right. If yeah. they can't, if there are these kind of routine day-to-day -day things and, and it's, they can't, they can't really stand those things, mm -hmm. then I'm sure you're probably, you know, wanting to pour your yeah. attention, yes. your heart and your soul into what you are seeing going on, going on with your child. And then you're also still balancing your work. Right. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly how I felt. I just felt like I wanted to really give every everything I could to helping my child be better right. and feel better because they were happy when they were home with me and we could have the environment a certain way and um so you could just be in their diaper. Um, mm -hmm. They were happy then and pleasant and would play and sing and dance and do all the things that happy children do. And um and yeah, I really wanted to be able to give my child that. And um I wasn't ready to admit that yet, though. I, I still really wanted to be that working mom, um, which so many women can do and, and, and can be. Um, but I wasn't considering how much support 
you need in order to be able to do that. Right. Um, and I also hear, I mean, I'm sure as you do, that women who do, who are doing it often feel like they are failing in exactly. various areas, right? Because no, no human can actually do it all. Nobody can. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. And like, you don't, we don't talk about that. So I didn't know that that was probably how the rest of the women in my office who were mothers right. felt, <laughs> but um, I do now. I know that now. Um, but I um, ended up at that point, I ended up becoming pregnant with my second child and um, I was still working full time. The summer was over. And so we had to go back to working full time. Um, and that was hard. It was a really hard shift. And I, I just remember feeling like I, I have to get through this and then my maternity leave is going to start. And then I'm going to be able to have a year off because in New York, I got a year off of work. Um, it wasn't paid, but part of it would have been, was paid. And then my job was guaranteed, even if I didn't come back for a year. Okay. So I just remember thinking how I couldn't wait for that to happen. Um, and, and like having this new baby would give me that option and to be home and to be um, with my child. And I remember, at, I remember at the appointment where I found out my next child was going to be a uh, female bodied. I, um, I, I, I was really excited and happy and I um, got on the subway and then it, um, at that point, I remember Mar- my, my friend Marilyn who died and that her second child was also a girl and it just hit me like the whole death of my friend and the intensity of mothering alone without community in a new place that is insane it all just came crashing down on me in that subway. And I, I just, I couldn't breathe. I started, I don't, I didn't, at that point, I didn't cry. I never cried. And I just, tears just started flooding and I had to get off the subway. I remember getting off and I just getting out and I had to go get, go find air and find something alive to feel and touch. Mm. And I just remember getting out and finding a little patch of grass and just like putting my hands on that grass. And just kind of letting it out, like just crying yeah, <laughs> and um, feeling that starting to feel that, that feeling that weight of what had been lost um, mm-hmm. with my friend and my community. And um, in, in order to be at this opportunity um, and I, it took it probably took me thirty minutes or so to gather myself, and I I did, and got back on the subway and went back to work. Oh boy! <laughs> and um, yeah, the pregnancy continued, and um, it got to the point where I I got actually very sick during that pregnancy, and um, my liver started to fail, and um, so I ended up having to go on disability leave, and um, it was towards the end of the pregnancy. And so I, at that point, I was just like, okay, this is just wait, this is more than I can handle. Um, I can't wait to have this baby and um, this will be such a great gift. And um, well, and I just want to, I just want to say, you're thinking about uh, having a new baby, being home with a new baby and you, you have another child who is, you know, who. (laughs) 
some mm-hmm. challenges that really require a lot of you. And you're looking at that like it's going to be a rest. I know. It's insane. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I like, I don't know where but that head was. <laughs> well, but I mean, that's a, that it's, it's an indication of the load you were carrying. I uh-huh. think, you know, to view that as sort of a step down um, in right. terms of the, the energy that you're putting out. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, not having, it felt like not having to juggle the work, the ch- finding childcare, getting calls from the daycare. Cause my, my baby's having meltdowns and biting people. Right. <laughs> Just not having to juggle any of that felt like such a relief. Um, even though I was gonna be taking on caring for another newborn. Um, on with that. Um, but I, um, as my other, as my second born was coming along, my husband was fin- finishing up a master's of finance program and he got an internship, um, with Bloomberg, which is where he works now. And it paid enough that I wouldn't actually have to go back to work for sure for the full year. And so that was a huge relief as well. Um, it's the first time we were going to have enough kind of income to live on our own. We weren't going to have to have a roommate anymore. And um, that felt like a relief as well. So um, as, as my second joined us, um, we made the decision that I wouldn't return to work for the full year. And um, I would stay home and um, be the primary caretaker of the children. And, and he would go to work. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So this yeah. is a good place, I think, for us to um, to take a break. Okay. We've been discussing life, death, and compassion with my guest, Steckley Lee. And after the break, we are going to hear how this leads to a near-death experience. You're listening to GTO, Freedom for Humans. We will be right back. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at GiraffeTangoOctopus.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're speaking with Steckley Lee. So before the break, you have had your second child and you've now decided that you are going to stay home and be a full-time caregiver at least for the next year, which to you at this point sounds like a rest. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I felt, I felt like a huge... Um burden lifted to be able to stay home with my two young children and um not have to juggle job and child child rearing and um and 
while it did take the stress off of um, not, you know, not having that extremely stressful job anymore, I, um, I didn't consider the weight of being a stay-at-home mom and what, and what that would be. And um, I, as I do, I threw myself into it fully. And my, um, my second born was really healthy, thankfully, and um, didn't have any complicated problems and um, was a lovely, easygoing baby. Um, but my firstborn started, to, there were more and more signs that um, something wasn't right developmentally. And um, we actually ended up moving, my job, my husband's job turned into a full-time position. It was no longer an internship. And we ended up moving to New Jersey where we could have a little bit more space and um, into this little neighborhood. And I had a couple neighbors that were really kind and um, they loved having the little, the little children in the neighborhood. And, um, and I started feeling a little sense of maybe I could have a community again, because that's what had been lacking um, um, as a, as a young mother in the city. And um, I, but I wasn't, I didn't ask for it and I didn't tell people when I was starting to feel overwhelmed and my um, oldest, I don't even think I told my husband, honestly, I think he would, he, his job was equally as intense as mine had been. Um, he, he got a job in finance in New York city. So um he was gone basically 14 hours a day and um so I was really home all by myself um with the okay. babies and it's and how are you feeling physically because you were having like lung problems and so forth before right, right. yeah how how is your physical body at yeah. this point because you've now just had an, another baby right so I mean the two years after my second was born I I didn't I didn't really recover fully at all. And I was feeling exhausted still. Um, I was still pushing forward as you do as a mom, because you have to, and you have to take care of your kids. And so I was just going and going and going, um, trying to get them what they needed and you know, play, play dates and play groups and all the doctor's appointments, trying to figure out what was going on with my oldest. And, but I was beginning to feel exhausted. And I remember driving and this was around the time where my youngest was now, approaching two and my oldest was approaching five and um at that point I had decided to homeschool him because um I mean them and um because they were having such a difficulty with groups of kids so we decided we'd homeschool and um so really I really was doing it on my own and um I started feeling dizzy a lot and just exhausted and I I mentioned it to my husband and um but I didn't take it seriously. And um, their birthdays were coming up. They were born within 10 days of each other in May. And so I had a joint, a big joint birthday party for the two of them together. And um, I had started to get to know some moms within the homeschooling community in New Jersey and had made a nice little group of friends. They all lived about 30 minutes from me, but it was a nice group of moms. And I also got to know another mom who lived in my town um, through Kung Fu class that my oldest took. And um, she was really sweet and, and we would help each other out. And um, I had a birthday party, invited those people to the party and it was a, a backyard birthday and it was really nice. And we had pizza and cake and the, the, all the traditional kid birthday things. And that night um, we all went to bed early and I had eaten cake and pizza and had a beer. And um, I woke up in the night just feeling really rotten. I thought, oh, it's just, I ate. I don't usually eat like that. I just feel bad because I ate bad. And um, I stood up and I got went to the bathroom and I fainted. And um, I hit my head on the bathtub and um, 
when I came to, I couldn't stand up. I could crawl and I crawled into the hallway and I could feel that my heart was just racing. And so I called out to my husband. I was like, call an ambulance. Something's not right. And so he did. And um, I was taken to the hospital. And um, when I got there, they said my heart was beating close to 200 beats per minute. And it was um, an AFib. And, um, and so they were going to have to give me some medication to slow my heart rate down. So I didn't have a stroke. <laughs> and I said, um, you know, make sure you just give me, I'm, I'm very sensitive to medication. I remember saying that and just please give me the least you can. And I remember them putting the IV in and the nurse saying to the doctor, are you sure you want to give her that much? And, um, I, that's what I said about being sensitive. And he's like, it's going to be fine. And so and they dripped the medicine and my heart just pinched up and I said oh my heart hurts and I repatted my foot and said you're gonna be fine and then I just I went out and um there were lights spiraling and um I remember just screaming my children's names just screaming screaming no and screaming their names and then I came to this moment of just utter peace I mean just I can still fall back into that place. And it was the most peaceful, restful, beautiful, connected, held, wonderful place. And um, I could see the circle of my ancestors. I didn't recognize their faces except for one person who was my mother's favorite aunt. And um, I remember looking at them and just feeling like everything is going to be fine and everything is okay. And um. And then as soon as I felt that like kind of release of everything, um, I was sucked back down, like sucked right back, um, to where I had been and into my body. And, um, I opened my eyes and I saw these beautiful, this pair of beautiful green eyes, which was the nurse. And, um, I saw the bag, the resuscitation bag on my face. And the nurse says, we got her. And, um, and I, I was in shock. <laughs> I, um, I couldn't believe that I had just died. <laughs> um, you just died. I just died. Yeah. And, um, you're, and it's like your life, you've like the life force has been pouring out of you for years. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, yes, that's what it feels like to me. Like I, as, as I've been hearing your story, I just feel this force that you are mm-hmm. but none of us has an endless amount right like there right is, right that none of us does and i just feel like it's pouring out for years and years without ever really being replaced right right and you yeah. you almost disappeared exactly exactly and i and i did and it was so i was so close to not being able to be mother to my children and um to be with these this wonderful family i had been forming and um i remember saying i, I want my husband here <laughs> get my husband here and um he had been at home with the kids and so he called my friend and she came and stayed with him and he was able to come to the hospital and be with me and um i at that point i felt so lucky not to be dead um, i felt so lucky to be alive i had no idea what had happened or why it happened um i couldn't there was nothing. I was in the ICU for two nights and um, in the hospital for three days, and they couldn't find anything wrong with me. They couldn't find anything wrong with my heart or with um, my cardiovascular system. They did find what 
is probably a small birth defect in my heart, but it shouldn't affect anything. It shouldn't have caused that. So I remember when I got home, I just felt extremely grateful. And I realized that I had been, yeah, completely sucked dry. <laughs> um, and that I, I, I came to think that this probably happened because I was just um, drained and just so, so drained. And um, I had also been lacking joy. I had gotten to the point where it was just so, exa- I was so exhausted that I had no, no joy um, ah. in, in my life. And, um, and so having that like chance to come back felt like a huge gift. Yes. And, um, yeah. And um, at that point I began, um, it, there's a, it's a whole lot more to the story, but I want to get to the point of where I am now. And, um, but it was at that point where I began to, um, start thinking about my, how my body can, will tell me, um, when I'm doing too much, if I just will listen to it. And I started thinking back to the lung infections and the failed liver and the, um, and then this, my heart stopping. And I, and I, I began looking into, um, Eastern medicine and what were the causes of those things. And I saw that with the lungs, it was grief. And I considered how I never grieved Marilyn dying or who grieved my parents to, splitting up and their marriage falling apart and um or my father becoming um institutionalized and um and in the liver that is related to anger and to resentment and that happened in that period of time where I was working in family court and I felt so angry on behalf of my clients and what they were going through and I resented the system and the um the fact of white supremacy in our in our country and how unfair it was to my clients who were all women of color and um how they didn't have the freedom to have the life I did yeah and I just had that anger that was not ever expressed it was just I just held it and that as I did I held everything and then the heart is related to joy and your joy your source of joy and I had um I think parenting while I loved it it was so draining and so exhausting that I had gotten to that point where I was just you know putting one foot in front of the other (laughs) but not really yeah um not really embracing not necessarily being present to the joy of life but exactly right like putting one foot in front of the other to get through the next thing or to take care of the need that you see Right. You know, that your children have, and obviously you're, you're also married. I mean, marriages take energy and, and effort and love and all those things. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, um, yeah, wasn't, I wasn't, I I think I wasn't, wasn't getting that for myself. Um, right. I wasn't in a, like in a place where I was getting back, um, nearly what I was putting out. And, um, and so I, I sat with that and I did slowly get better. And I um, began the practice of walking by the river. I lived by the Hudson River. And um, at that point is when the river became really important to me. And um, being by a river and just being with that flow, that constant flow of um, of energy and that constant flow and constant change felt really important to me. And so for the the six months after my near-death experience, I... um. I was on watch basically <laughs> and had to go to lots of doctor's appointments. And I would every morning. And at that point, my husband would, he um, went to, he would go to work a little bit later so I could go down and take a walk by the river in the morning before he left. 
And I would sit by the river and I would um, meditate and go into myself and just imagine my heart being filled with gold light and anything that might be wrong being healed. And um, I just took that 30 minutes for myself. And um, and that's that's all I got at that time. Um, but having that at the river, I think really did help to start me um to start my healing and um i um i also started putting a little bit more into my friendships um my husband is a wonderful provider and um he's a wonderful father he he grew up in iran and i think we have very different cultural expectations for marriage and um he doesn't give a lot in, in emotional connection uh-huh. And so I, um, I hadn't been, cons- I didn't think about what, you know, how much emotional connection I did need in order to have joy and love and fulfillment in my life. So I started really putting more into my friendships and, um, got to be friends with a few women in New Jersey who were still very, very good friends. And, um, you know, we would make sure we had dinner together a couple nights a week and it was little things and it wasn't things that cost much. It was just, Rather than eating alone, I would have dinner with my friend, um, you know, with the children. We'd get all of our children together. And, like, all of our husbands worked in finance in New York, so they were gone. And so rather than being alone, we would we would do it together. And we would go to each other's houses and help clean or, um, you know, take each other's kids to the playground so the other one could go have a cup of coffee by herself. And just little things like that, but it really made a big difference to um, not feeling so wiped out. Well, those are wonderful examples too, because sometimes I think, you know, when we're in these places in our lives, we feel like we have to just blow it up completely, right? Like we, right. Like, like you get gotten to this place. So I'm, you know, you must have to change everything. And then that feels overwhelming and kind of can sometimes keep people stuck. And what you're describing is these, these incremental steps of exactly. building self-care into your life right. and prioritizing your own not just your own well-being but your own joy right exactly and i think that um being with a river and that the river is still a huge source of my um my togetherness i guess or my strength and that like i think about how rivers you know they have banks and they have rocks and they have moss and they have fish and protozoa and all these little pieces that make the river it's not just one organism you know it's all these multitude of pieces and so um playing with that idea i i started looking for where could i find those little pieces that would help me hold my banks and um would help me flow instead of getting stuck and or, or collapsing again and um or overflowing the banks and um and money was still tight with um the cost of living up there and my student loans and not working. So I didn't have like the money to like go to therapy or, you know, get massages or pay for a babysitter. And um, so finding that community of moms and just doing these little things for each other and with each other really was an accessible, accessible way for um me to have self-care. And um and I think that's something that we forget in our in our culture. We don't do like potlucks anymore that much, or um, we've gotten so accustomed to hiring out help yes. 
yes. that we forget to help each other and um and uh leaning into that mutual network of support where we could help each other and lean on each other um really helped me to start finding a space to heal and um I, I I want to jump forward because um, where I am now is a totally different place. I'm in North Carolina now, and um, in the time from that that time in New Jersey to being here, I gave birth to a third child. And um, shortly after she was born, um, my oldest was finally diagnosed with autism, and that was when when they were seven. And um, his challenges kind of increased from age four to age ten, and um. It got to the point when he was 10 where I realized earlier before I collapsed that I couldn't do it by myself. And I really needed to be living with somebody, another adult full time who could be with me all the time um, to help me with um, problems and challenges. And so I, um, the girl, the children and I moved in with my mom in North Carolina and um, it was a big you know, it felt really, um, it felt wrong on some levels because I left my husband to do that, yes. um, left him in New York and took the kids away. Um, you know, he was always welcome to come visit and be with us as much as he could and wanted to. But I, um, I knew I had to get support. I couldn't do it on my own anymore or I would collapse again. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and so I did, I moved to North Carolina and I, um, was a, the, the slower pace of life down here really helped my oldest. Um, I was able to find a program here that understood the type of autism he has. And um, my oldest is also transgendered and that kind of came out during that period of time. And um, I found the most amazing community of people here to um, embrace him, embrace him in his neurodiversity, embrace him in his gender diversity. Um, he started getting where it was really hard to find proper um therapist and specialist to help him where we were up north um I found a really great network here and so he got for the first time the 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 care he really needed um not just the care that's usually prescribed for autism but the care that my specific autistic child needed I see and um that's yeah unique to him that's unique to him right and I also started unschooling my children which I saw you had an episode on that I did um, we did yeah. yeah we did an episode um yeah, yeah two week two weeks ago on unschooling I found it yeah utterly fascinating mm-hmm. <laughs> yes yeah, so we started unschooling and I met this amazing group of people here that um just really honored who my family was our challenges um and like embraced who I was and um and started encouraging me to get back to the things that really fed me. And one of those was dance. And, um, and I hadn't danced in so long. And so one of my friends invited me to start dancing again. And so I, um, you know, my Rye was at a good place behaviorally. I was able to finally leave him with a caregiver, which was my mom. I didn't have to be with him all the time anymore. And my older, my younger two were they've always been pretty easy kids, luckily. Um, <laughs> so I was able to leave the kids with my mom at night and go, go dance. And so I started doing that. Um, and then I started painting and um, I, I'm surrounded by creeks here where I live now. And um, Perfect. Yeah. Perfect and so for I you. Had, yeah. I had this flowing water and um, 
So I started uh, every morning just going out and spending time with um, the creeks, the trees, the, you know, everything, all this beauty that surrounds me here. And, um, you know, finding community with that, with those uh, not human um, beings and, um, and just started living this kind of completely different way than I had been. And, um, and from that, um, in this group of friends I made who were unschooling, I started doing children, some children's classes um, for art. And um, my own children loved art. And we always, like I did as a child, made art all the time. And I started, so I started making art with my children all the time. And um, we'd invite other children um, to come and make art with us. And we ended up deciding um, after about six months of being here that we would buy a house here. And, and make this our home. And um, and at that point, my husband saw the change, like the change in me, the change in um, our oldest, which was remarkable. Um, he went from being a child that wanted to kill himself and, and did did try killing himself um, to a child who was excited to be alive and started making goals and um, started creating a lot of. He he's an artist and writes stories and. Um, and my, my middle child was, was definitely severely impacted by the, the, the challenges of having an autistic sibling. And, um, she had had severe separation anxiety and couldn't be away from me. Um, she started healing from that. She got into therapy here as well. And she was able to like be with her dad, um, and not have to have me right there with her and, um, or be with the babysitter. And he saw, he could see how much we all <laughs> improved with this community and not doing it on our own. And so, um, you know, we decided to buy a house here and make this our home. And, um, and we started the Aries Makers Art Collective, um, which is a, it's a family um, collective of our artwork. And we, we, we make art together and um, we invite people from the community to come in and make art with us. And um, I am currently um, really interested in painting, but also in um, visible mending, um, oh. which is, yeah, making, you know, taking garments that are falling apart and then sewing them re- in a way that you can see the, the, the sewing. Crack, the sewing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, that is, mm. and I, I love of, that. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a scar. It's almost like wearing your scars proudly. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and I'm really just leaning into that, the fact that, you know, some of us are going to, are here in bodies on earth that, um, that need more care. And, uh, and that is definitely true of those on the, who are neurodiverse and living with autism, that they, they need a very unique a unique environment to thrive and um and and i think it's really true of all of us like we all need a pretty <laughs> unique environment to thrive that suits us and um i was thinking the have- same thing yeah i was yeah. i was thinking the exact same thing as you were describing that that you know yeah. you've come to this place of healing mm-hmm. um and everyone everyone was able to access some healing right mm-hmm. from from something different with something different mm-hmm. and you've created this sort of joy collective 
I love that. Yeah. Yeah. A joy collective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's still, we still have our challenges. This last week was a doozy. <laughs> um, but I have here now this, a community, um, that like cares about me that I care about. And, um, that has deep reciprocity. And I think that is what had been lacking the rest of, you know, in my earlier life was that I forgot about the need for reciprocity. I think it's one of those natural law truths that we need to be in reciprocal relationships. Yes. And, um, yeah. And that is um, something I had just ignored. I just thought I could just make it all better on my own without ever taking anything in for myself. And, uh, right. Um, spent, spent, spent. Right. Yeah. We, we yeah. want to care, be careful not to overspend and under earn, so to speak, mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to health and and community and connectedness and joy. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, Stuckley, um, this has been truly a wonderful story. Thank you so much for committing the time that you have committed to this and for really showing us, you know, the path that one that one can go down you know, thinking I'm doing all the right things and I'm showing up for people and I'm showing up for my life. And, you know, when you're not paying attention to your own needs, it can really, it can go far. It took you all the way, all the way to death. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you returned and that you've been able to make this wonderful life for yourself and your children and your family and all the members of your community there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. And I'm really happy to share my story. And yeah, anybody ever wants to reach out, I'm always willing to talk. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to GTO Freedom for Humans. You are the reason we do the show. Tune in next week for my special guest, Dr. Bree Hazlip. You can find me at giraffetangooctopus.com. You can book a free discovery session to get started on your journey to freedom. I am here to help you. You can find my guest Steckley at on Instagram at Aries Makers and also her father's work on Instagram at The Great Painted Cave. Love yourself, free yourself, be yourself, and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.